Good morning. I'd like to ask that you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It is a wonderful passage that we're going to read today. Indeed, the entire chapter is a great blessing, and the, the whole book is a wonderful gift from God to his people. And here what we're going to see today is a, a wonderful reminder of who we are in Christ Jesus and what is promised to us as the people of God. And as you do so, I'll, I'll just say that this is a passage that um, has sustained me in some difficult times. Indeed, God has been using in and through me um, these last number of years. And I pray it will be a great blessing to all of us. I know, if nothing else, it is a message that I need to hear. So let us hear the word of God, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father, as we come before your word given to us today, we pray that you would give us receptive hearts, open ears to hear all that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would meet us and apply unto our hearts and lives your word. Lord, without you here, I'm just a man standing up here and talking. But with, you, with your presence and your word that we read, your word brings life and truth. Apply it to us, we pray. And Lord Jesus, we want to lift you up here in our midst and in our own hearts. And so, Father, ultimately my prayer, our prayer, is that my words will pass away and that your words will stand today, tomorrow, and indeed forever, for they most assuredly will, and mine will pass away. And so do so here today, Lord, for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Last week, we had a wonderful message from a guest speaker who helped us to think about, challenged us to ask the question, what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of Christ and all that he says over us and to us? And today, I want to challenge us with the question, what are we thinking about? Where are you setting your hearts and your minds? We're reminded that you have been, this morning, united with and in Christ Jesus. You have been raised with him. And thus, we are called, as the people of God, to set our minds on him and on things above. As I mentioned in the beginning, these last few years, my wife and I have been very open about some of the things that we have gone through, some of the struggles. Many of them have been tremendously difficult. We've experienced betrayal of those that we thought were friends. We've experienced the challenge of adopting 
two children from another country. We've experienced profound struggle in our marriage. My mom and dad are visiting with us. I will not look at them today so as not to cry too much. I've experienced debilitating health, dark nights of the soul, pain instead of healing delivered from the church. Spiritually and emotionally, and in every way, have felt beat up at times. Yet through all of that, I want to encourage you with this. There was always that still small voice, and indeed is with me today. You were bought with a price. You are a son of God. You are dearly loved. And indeed, this passage, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, has been a refrain in my heart that I believe that God has placed there. A longing deep within for what is to come for us. A, a longing and a hope of a day when all things will truly make sense and all will be fully redeemed and revealed. There is no doubt that for the people of God, that God pursues us with his love. He, he follows us as a lover of our souls who pursues us with his love. Yet we live in a time when the majority of professing Christians look like the rest of the world. All around us are people who are caught up in lies of the culture that tell us to find our worth outside of Christ. We will find our worth with a purchase at Best Buy or at your local car dealership. That you will find purpose in your life when you find status or money or power or whatever it would be. All of this is a focus on this world. Some will even, like at the end of the, the chapter before, will talk about outward displays of righteousness and what we need to do and in many ways promoting our spiritualities, quote unquote. Seeking religious things, being good, being acceptable by people, having all the answers. And all around us are those that buy into the lies of the evil one listening to the world, its ways, and its wisdom. May that not be true of us, that instead we seek to set our minds on Christ. Abigail Keynes is going to be going away real soon up to King's College in New York City, and one of my classmates is a professor there by the name of Anthony Bradley, and she, there's going to be a little party for her today, and I thought about this morning a quote uh, that he put on Twitter a few months ago, and he said this, having now taught Southern Christian students and non-Southerners, the South, no contest, this is a man born in the South, the South, no contest, has to be the most difficult place to raise Christian kids. Duplicity is embedded in the culture, and many parents have no idea that their publicly rule-following kids aren't Christ followers. May that not be said of any of us. What about us? What about you? Is your mind set on things above? Are we seeking to turn our children's eyes from simply 
the, the situation and turn them towards Christ? Are we in all things looking unto him? Paul tries to help us to see who we are, that we as believers, that our entire mindset and our entire direction cannot be and indeed is not like the rest of the world. As believers in Christ, we are called to set not our, our hearts on things of this world, but to set our hearts on things above and indeed on Christ. What does that mean to set not our hearts and our minds rather on things of this world? It's clear, but what does it mean? In my mind is this. How many of you have a pet at home, a cat or a dog or other carnivorous beast of some sort, okay? I want you to go home, cut off a piece of your lunch, a piece of your meat, maybe a piece of a hot dog, and hold that in front of the animal and tell me what that dog or cat or beast is going to do. It's going to stare intently with that at that piece of meat until you give it to them. And I can't help but think about this picture for us. What does it mean to be fixated upon, to have our focus on him and not on the things around us of this world? Staring intently at that meat, the prize, what we want. The prize is not the things that are offered in this world that slip between the fingers and dissipate so quickly. That verse is clear. Set not your, your minds on things above, not, not on things that are on earth, earthly things. We can become so quickly distracted in life. What was Paul talking about here, though? There was a lot of Gnosticism that was going on within the church. The Gnosticism basically says, okay, you believed in Jesus. Now look inside yourself for the deeper truths. He addresses asceticism and the desire in the end of chapter 2, the desire to show religious fervor, to prove your love for God, and to show around you all around that you have some sort of extra measure of spirituality that others are lacking. He's addressing the temptation of the hearts of men then and today. That lie that we need something more than Christ. We need something more than Christianity. You started out with Christ. Is our mantra, all I have is Christ? Or is it, I need to find hope elsewhere? I'll have to admit that even as a young pastor, I got caught up at times in the emptiness of modern things, modern schemes, the newest way to have church growth, always wanting to go to the next and newest and best conferences and wanting to listen into different speakers about ideas of how we can better do church leadership and grow the church for the sake of numbers and got caught up in some of those uh, especially some of those leaders and books and conferences. And I realized how frivolous they are. There's some wisdom in there, of course, from time to time. But for the most part, it is about the schemes of man, setting your minds on things here rather than on things above. What 
We even have on church signs all over the area. I have told many before, I despise church signs because most of the times they're putting truisms on there that aren't biblical, they're not scriptural, they're not telling what's going on within the life of the church. They're simply giving truisms that is worldly wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. One I saw not too long ago is on the front of a church. Losing is inevitable, quitting is eternal. Okay, I guess that makes some sense, but what is your point? Is it just distracting? Because I think truism set our attention on man rather than on God. When Paul uses the language set your minds, it means to continually turn your minds and set your minds on him. It is not just a one-time thing, continually, over and over again. And it is true that for the heart of man, it is not natural for us to be concerned quickly about heavenly things. But I'll remind you what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 10. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So therefore Jesus made it clear as well to set not our hearts on people or the things on this earth, but above. George Gallup, the famous Christian pollster, wrote about um, some of the trends he's seen in the church a few years ago. And he said this, we find there is very little difference in the church when it comes to ethical behavior between churchgoers and those who are not actively religious. The levels of lying, cheating, and stealing are remarkably similar in both groups. Eight out of ten Americans consider themselves Christians, yet only about half of them could identify the person who gave the Sermon on the Mount, and fewer still could recall five of the Ten Commandments. Only two in ten said that they would be willing to suffer for their faith. It's the world that we live in. It's the country we're in. The hope is not in setting our, our focus and our future hope on the next elected official. Our minds rather are to have them set on things not here, but above. For ultimately, it tells us you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if we are to set our minds on the immaterial things of this world, earthly honors, position, advancement, many of you are going back to school this week. Where is your heart? Where is your focus? Your life is eternal and now not of this world. Your life is hidden in the eternal realm. You are safe with him in Christ. Back in the day, the, the Jews were teaching that there was a hidden salvation. That it would come with the coming Messiah who brought about political reign. Paul's thinking here seems to parallel this in some ways. Our future 
and our direction have completely changed and are now called upward and will never be satisfied here. I saw a poster with a bunch of cars on it, and it says, he who has the most toys when he dies wins. Is that not the thinking of this world? Is that not the earthly wisdom? And where does it lead us? I've been at the side of numerous people when they died, and they had brand new cars outside, fancy antique cars, really cool old Corvettes and Camaros, and they left them all behind. All things are passing away. The world offers the carrot on the stick that you can never quite get. What are you chasing? That carrot or after Christ? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you worrying? Are you always focused on your circumstances? Where is your treasure? Are you setting your heart and your trust in your sovereign God who loves you dearly? And that really is the the second point, to set our hearts on things of heaven. The beginning of one, it says, if then, some uh, translations say since, since you have been raised, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. One commentator said that our identity is clear here, that we are inextricably linked to the person of Christ. What that means is if you have been raised with Christ, if you are in him, your life is connected to his life. Your life is connected to his ministry. Your life is connected to his resurrection, his death, the rebuke that he bore, the persecution. Are you today raised with Christ? You may not feel that way this moment or even today. But if you are in Christ, the work has already been done. It can't be changed. What God has done is he has turned our hearts towards him and tuned them back with our Father in heaven. He's completely changed us. Our inner nature, we may not feel it, but our inner nature has changed. We are now capable of serving and loving our God. Once we were slaves to sin, now we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we're given what is a present imperative in the original language. A continuing and ongoing effort is required of us to fully experience this. Basically, to persistently seek and to keep on seeking things of heaven. We have a calling to focus upward in all things. Our finances, our families, our marriages. We are called to focus them all towards him. Lord, what would you have me to do? Rather than what are my goals and what do I want to attain? We're called to remember that there is a spiritual realm, that there is nothing that happens in this world that does not have great and deeper purposes for us 
and if nothing else, the purposes of God in his creation in this world, in his plan of redemption. We have to remember who we are. God is working in us. God is changing our hearts. God is allowing sometimes struggles in our life that our claim is clearly at the end of our life, all I have is Christ. But what more do I need than Christ? He is changing our our hearts. He is helping us to die to ourselves and to die to our flesh and the love of this world. He is helping us freshly daily to remember that we are new creations in Christ. If we set our hearts on things here, where does that lead us? But deeper pain. Did you hear what I said? As God allows difficulty in your life, if you set your mind on the carrot to be your hope, he is going to not allow you to find joy in seeking the carrot because he loves you. And you will never be content there because you are his. You were bought with a price. And Paul is seeking and indeed lifts our hearts and minds towards the heaven realities of what is happening in the world around us and in our lives. One commentator said this, It is not by fighting sin, the world, and the flesh on their own ground that the Colossians are going to overcome them, and indeed us. Not by using the human means, which Paul has been condemning but rising above them. Therefore, we have a completely different focus than the rest of the world. We have a different focus and a way of living our lives than unbelievers. Why is it then that we so often look like the rest of the world and seek after its wisdom instead of setting our hearts and minds on things above? Even in the news in the last couple weeks, a famous pastor, even in reformed circles, renounced his faith. Oh, but I would, that, that all of us would have a patient God to work in us. And oh, that we would seek continually what God has in store in the heavenly realms to set our hearts and minds on things of heaven when the day of trouble comes that we will not be led astray. We are called therefore then to pray without ceasing, to think on God and his plan in the world in our lives, to focus on heaven. This makes sense for us to help us to understand that all of this world is preparing us for the next. Very rarely do we think that way. Indeed, Jesus taught us to pray, not your will be done, but not your own, but thy will be done, his, on earth as it is in heaven. Continually praying that. That's why we say it weekly here. It's what we are called to do. And so let me ask you, are your priorities God's priorities? Do you pray, as we sang a few moments ago, for God to have his way In our lives, do you trust him? Do you trust what he is doing and allowing in this world? 
What things have become objects that you are fixated on other than heaven? Is it your golf game? Your portfolio? No, we are to set our hearts and minds on heaven and his kingdom. All the rest is but dross fading away. We are to set our hearts on things of heaven, but also, and even more than that, our hearts on Christ. We could meditate for the rest of our days this one verse, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Time after time after time, I visit with people, and they're focused on looking at death and eternity. And often, even professing Christians are thinking about the people that they're going to go see in heaven. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited about seeing my grandparents again and friends that have been lost and and gone on to the next world. I I long for that day that I'm going to see them. But even, I I point them to Hebrews uh, chapter 12 where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. In that great cloud of witnesses are your loved ones. But more importantly than that, in the great cloud is Christ. And even more than him being in that great cloud, he is the prize awaiting at the end. So why, I don't understand, so often believers are focused on seeing grandma again and not Christ? Where is our hearts? Where is the fixation of our souls? Is it upon Christ? What would your children say of you? They know where your heart is fixated. Is it on things of this world or is it on Christ? Do they see a faith that is transforming us, that we're wrestling with, that we're struggling through? Or is it just something we do on Sunday mornings from time to time? It's a huge problem if we're not focused on him. We need to have good theology. We need to be studying the word. We need to be getting together with one another and encouraging each other. But is Christ in that equation? Are our hearts and minds focused on the person and finished work of Christ in glory? Are we focused on a day that is to come we're going to be glorified when we're with him in glory? When we behold him with our eyes for the first time and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Until that moment he was going to be wiping away tears. There's a reason that he will need to do so. Our life is forever linked to Christ. He suffered, therefore we will suffer. The life that we see lived in the the scriptures were connected and tied to who he is and his work on earth. We are to share one day in his glory with him and we will appear not just before him but with him as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Our total life is in Christ. Our Christian life itself is being changed, molded, God is working on us. He is conforming us into the image of Christ because we belong to Christ. It's so much more than just talking about Jesus, talking about living for this life. 
we can talk about these things sometimes and have our heads in the clouds if our purpose is not to look to him in our lives, in our families, in our small groups, in our church. Trying to live the Christian life with legalism or asceticism. I'd encourage you to read the whole book. Chapter 2 talks about trying to prove yourself with your, with your works and your legalism, trying to outgood other people around you. It's emptiness. Asceticism, which is, you could think of some of the religions of the world where they climb up the stairways on their bare knees to prove their love for God. That's asceticism. Whatever you're seeking apart from knowing the person of Christ, let him be our fixation. Not all this other stuff because it's empty and your children know it. Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter, finisher of our faith. Right in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations of the world? The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals in their 1996 Cambridge Declaration, speaking about solus Christus, only Christ, said this, as evangelical faith, and tell me if this isn't true, as evangelical faith becomes secularized, its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. The result is a loss of absolute values, permissive individualism, and a substitution of wholeness for holiness, recovery for repentance, intuition for truth, feeling for belief, chance for providence, and immediate gratification for enduring hope. Christ and his cross have been moved from the center of our vision. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It is true that, and I will be happy to talk to you at length, it is true that the only word I can think of is that Jesus haunts us with his love and presence in our lives. There have been times that I didn't think I was so lovable, and probably I wasn't. Just ask my wife. Um, yet to know that no matter, because I belong to Christ, he has pursued me with that love. It brings that opening of verse 4 to a profound meaning in my life. When Christ, who is, who is your life, appears, he has bought you. He has given himself for you to have life, both now and in the world to come. He has given your life profound purpose in all situations for his own glory. He has changed the direction of your life and there are so many things that we don't understand that happen. But more than all these things, he is your life. 
Therefore, we weep without losing hope. We have failure, but we do not despair. When there are moments of poverty, we go back to our God who gives. When we are successful, we know that they're not from our own abilities. When there are moments of wealth, our only option is to avoid pride. When we are wronged, we do not take revenge because we belong to Christ. So then, therefore, let us have receptive, willing, open hearts to all that God has in store for us. Some years ago, some musicians in London, this is before the days of recorded music, noted that errand boys in certain parts of London all whistled a tune, but they all whistled it out of tune. It was talked about and someone suggested perhaps the bells of Westminster Abbey might be a little out of tune. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. That the chimes were a little bit off and everyone followed being a little bit off. Boys didn't even know that there was anything wrong with what was going, what they heard, or what they were playing with their mouths. Quite unconsciously, they just copied the pitch. Are we copying the pitch and the patterns of this world? Or are we the people of God, turning our hearts from the love and ways of this world and setting, therefore, our minds on things above and indeed on Christ Jesus? Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we go forth from this place today that you would deeply remind us of all that you have done and who we now are as the people of God. May we therefore then turn our eyes from the love of things in this world. That we would turn our hearts from the wisdom and ways of this world and instead we would set before our eyes the hope of glory on things above. And more than that, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that this passage would continue to resonate in our hearts as many go back to school, going back to work. Perhaps there are many things that are going on in the lives of the people here today. And I ask, Lord God, that you would meet us, haunt us, pursue us with your love, and show us what it means, Lord, to surrender and to turn our eyes unto Jesus, the author, perfecter, finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.